0: We're in Ephesians chapter number 6 this morning, Ephesians chapter number 6. This is a typical Father's Day passage, typical passage in the Scripture on fatherhood. And I want to just speak to you some simple truths here this morning on God's admonition to fathers. Nothing profound today, but sometimes we lose sight of the most important things, trying to be profound, trying to make things emotional. Sometimes we just need to focus on just the basics, on what God expects of fathers, and then also what God expects of all of us on how we should treat our fathers. In Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The Scripture says, in the Lord. Obviously, there are parents, there are fathers that exist today that would encourage their children to do things that would be sinful and harmful. God doesn't expect obedience to sinful behavior. He says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, I say this with kind of an asterisk, a disclaimer, that Just because you don't agree doesn't mean that it's not right. So we live in a day and age where children have been influenced by the culture around them. It's like, well, I'll obey if I agree or if I understand. I didn't grow up in that kind of a culture, and for the most part, most of you didn't either. I I knew and understood that if mom or dad said to do something, I just did it. And if I didn't, there were going to be consequences, amen? And uh, consequences that didn't harm me, but they did cause some hurt. <laughs> Those were the good old days. And then verse number two says, honor thy father and mother. Notice that God distinguishes the difference between children obeying parents and And then for everyone, regardless of your age, it says to honor your father and your mother. If you are grown and out of the house and on your own, at that point, your father and mother are no longer your parents. They are not raising you and training you. You have now either gotten married or moved out on your own. And even though at that point you are not commanded to obey your parents, you are commanded to honor your father and mother, which certainly at times would mean obedience. God goes on to say in verse number three, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And so this is a great commandment that God gives with promise. You know, all of God's commandments have the promise of God's blessings, but this one in particular, God says, if you'll obey me in this matter, I am going to take special notice and I'm going to make sure that that things are going to go well with you, that you're going to live a good life. doesn't just necessarily mean a long life. I know people that have rebelled against their parents and have lived a long life. But I don't know about you... I wouldn't want to live into my 80s and 90s without the blessings of God in my life. I would rather live a short time with God than a long time without Him. I've had times in my life when I was living without Him, and I don't like those times. I don't like those memories. There's nothing better than the presence of God in our lives and knowing that God's real and that He's looking down upon us in favor and with a smile. Doesn't that make you feel good? Just the thought that maybe God, the creator of the universe, a holy and a righteous God would look down upon you and I and have a smile on his face when he sees us. I don't know about you, but that encourages my heart. And then in verse number four, it says, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that you'd bless this time that we have today as we admonish fathers, as we admonish children. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified and honored in all that's said and done. I pray that the things that are spoken here this morning would be helpful and encouraging in a day and age when there's just not a whole lot of encouragement to be found. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would bless us and guide us and uh, help our hearts and help our homes. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a principle that we just read. In fact, this entire context begins back in chapter 5, verse 19, and it carries on all the way down to chapter 6 and verse number 9. The principle is that God always gives the command to the subordinate before he gives the instruction or the exhortation to the authority. We see here that first of all, God says to children, you need to obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And then he says to the, to the fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. If we were to back up a little bit, the husband-wife relationship is outlined beginning in verse number 21, and the principle is consistent. God says to wives, he says, submit yourselves, he says, verse 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. He gives the commandment to the subordinate, and then he goes on to give the instruction to the person in authority. He says, husbands... Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Later on, in chapter number 6, he says in verse 5, Servants, be obedient to your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. He says to those that are in a position of servitude, you need to obey your masters. And then in verse number 9, he gives the instruction to the masters that they should forbear threatening and remember that they too have a master in heaven and that is God. And so as a principle, always remember that God gives the commandment to the subordinate first and then the instruction to the authority. I would ask you this question. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but why do you suppose that God has that principle. Why do you suppose that God views the authority structure in such a manner? Well, I certainly can't get into the mind of God, but as I read the Bible, I find that God is a God of authority. And when He delegates authority to someone, whether it be a husband, whether it be a father, whether it be a master, when God delegates his authority, it comes from Him and there is an expectation that that authority will be submitted to. In fact, I read in the Bible that God gives a special blessing to those who obey, please listen to this, those who obey misguided and imperfect authority. Hold your place here and go to First Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. I'll never forget the first time that I read this for myself and it sunk in. Have you ever had a place in the Bible where you've read it a number of times but it just didn't really sink in? This is one of those passages because there was a time I remember I was working for a guy and the guy that I was working for was a royal jerk. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We've all worked for one. If you haven't, if you've never worked for a jerk before, then you've never lived. (laughs) If you haven't before and you're not of retirement age, it will eventually happen. (laughs) It's almost like God makes sure that we all eventually work for someone that is very, very difficult to work for. I remember getting chewed out by my boss one time, and I wasn't, I wasn't mad that he was, that I had messed up, but I was mad that he didn't treat me with respect. I was in my early twenties, I had already gotten right with the Lord, but I was so indignant. I thought, you know what? He has no right to talk to me that way, and I had this good old boy mentality. That you know what, if you, if you if you treat me right, I'll treat you right, but I don't have to obey you and take it like that. And then I read this passage of Scripture, and I felt so convicted from what the Word of God says. Let's read it together. First Peter chapter two, verse number eighteen says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. That word froward, it's not just forward with an R in it. It's a nice way of saying jerk. Don't just be obedient to the ones that are good and gentle, but the ones that are froward. Verse 19, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take it if I, if I don't have it coming. I want my rights. God says, look, just yield to that person in authority, even if you are being Even if you're being unjustly accused, even if the boss doesn't have it right, yield to him. Some of you are looking at me like, are you kidding me, preacher? Not at all. This is no laughing matter. This is no joke. And this is a concept that is totally foreign to today's culture. Now, you go back not too many generations ago, and you find that people would submit to the boss even if he was a jerk, because they knew that they needed that job. And there's been times in America where jobs were pretty hard to come by. And you knew that if you stood up for your rights and if you didn't take it, then you would get dismissed and you might be starving. You might not be able to feed your children because you weren't humble enough to take it from that froward boss. Now, I know that especially some of you younger generation, you're thinking about this and you're going, wow, that must have been rough back then. Well, God says quite plainly, there is no mincing words. He says, what good is it if you get in trouble and you had it coming? Well, of course you're in trouble. But when you didn't have it coming and you still stay humble and you take it, patiently, God says that this is acceptable with him. Why is that so acceptable with him? Verse 21 explains, he says, for even thereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You know what? When we get mistreated by a boss that is a jerk, we have an opportunity to glorify God. We have an opportunity to get God's special attention and God's special blessings. You say, well, I um I don't want to be... What is it? The, I don't want somebody to let somebody run all over me. Well, you better have that mentality with some caution. Because God says that Christ allowed people to walk all over him. And he took it because he had committed his life to his heavenly father. Do you know that we've got a God that's very just? And when we get treated unjustly, that God will look down and say, you know what, I need to make up for that. I need to bless my child there because the place that they're supposed to be getting their blessing is failing. I'm going to do something better for them. Brothers and sisters, there's never been a time in my life in which I have submitted to authority that I disagreed with but what God hasn't blessed it abundantly. But I will say this, it's one of the hardest things to do in life. It requires the grace of God. If you're living your Christian life according to your ego, you're going to have a hard time submitting when things don't go your way. If you're living your life according to your rights and you have a victim mentality and you're going to publish everything on Facebook every time somebody wrongs you, I got news for you. You can try to get your own justice, but you'll fail miserably every time. You'd be better off to let the God of justice get involved because he's never lost a case. And plus, we get an opportunity to be able to relate to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lived his entire life being falsely accused, misunderstood, Persecuted and so forth. I'm not saying that there's not a time that we should speak up and try to clarify, but have you ever had that time when the boss is such a jerk that no matter what you say, it's just not going to do any good? You know what you do? You submit to it. You say yes, sir, no, sir, and you just go on. And I have seen, I have seen that bosses find out later that they were wrong. And when you submitted and you just said, yes, sir, you didn't lose their respect. You grew in their eyes. Maybe not at the moment, but in the long run. Can I remind you of men like Joseph in the Old Testament, men like Daniel, men like Jeremiah who suffered unjustly, but God, the God of justice, always made them come out right when it was all said and done. God gives these special blessings. Uh, go, but go to Jeremiah 35. Jeremiah 35. This is a passage of Scripture that the Lord brought to my mind kind of late in my study. I wasn't planning on dealing with it, but this morning God just kind of um, brought this to my attention as I was thinking about the message. Jeremiah 35, and this is a very interesting story about uh, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, and this is a time of apostasy. This is a time when many of the children of Israel have been taken into captivity. Jeremiah is preaching and letting everybody know that, hey, we're not going to win this thing. All of the popular preachers are giving their little... Um, uh visual lessons their dynamic speaking saying hey we're going to prevail and we're going to defeat the assyrians and and they're all speaking the smooth things that people want to hear jeremiah seems to be standing alone and pronouncing judgment and the doom and the gloom i mean he's standing alone but he's right and he's telling the truth and during this time God had told Jeremiah that you're not going to have a single convert. That'd be a pretty tough call to the ministry. I want you to preach the rest of your life. Oh, by the way, nobody's going to listen to you. Every preacher feels like that sometimes. But thank God, uh, at least we're not there yet. Amen? I'm I'm looking at a congregation where a couple of you are certainly listening. (laughs) Well, you were. You need me to repeat that? <laughs> I thank God for people that listen to the Word of God and respond to the preaching. Many of you don't necessarily come to the altar. That's fine. As long as your heart responds to the Word of God, that's really all that matters because we're not putting on a show here. We are God's people and Church is about drawing us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about what we do outwardly. It's what God does in our heart and what we allow God to do in our heart. There is a family, and I'll kind of give you the gist of the story here. Their father, Rechab, during a time of apostasy, Rechab had enough wisdom to know that things were going to start going south in their nation. He knew that things were going to go bad. And so he told his children, he said, listen, I want you to live in tents. I don't want you to buy a bunch of houses. I don't want you to invest in the market. I want you to just live simple lives and raise the sheep and be nomads. And he gave them some commandments that seemed to be kind of crazy. Let's take a look at it in verse number 16. Excuse me, let's look at verse 14. The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, that he commanded his sons not to drink wine are performed unto this day. They drink none. Now, they had taken the descendants of Jonadab, they taken them into the house of the Lord. They had vats of wine there. And they tempted them, here, have a drink. And you know what those boys said? They said, no. Our grandfather charged us to never, ever taste it, never, ever touch it. And that's what they did. It wasn't necessarily a thus saith the Lord. It wasn't necessarily one of the commandments. And by the way, those vats that were in the house of God, that was more than likely. I know it's in a time of apostasy, but more than likely that was vats of grape juice. But regardless of what it was, they looked at, they said, we're not touching it. Because our grandfather gave us a commandment, and we're going to obey. Now let's see what God thinks of it in verse 16. Because the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them, but this people hath not hearkened unto me. This is God saying, look, Jonadab's got children and grandchildren that are obeying his command. I'm God, I'm the Creator, I'm the Savior, my people aren't listening to me. He says, therefore, verse 17, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the evil that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken unto them, but they have not heard, and I have called unto them, but they have not answered." And Jeremiah said unto the house of the Rechabites, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because ye have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and kept all his precepts, and done according unto all that he hath commanded you, therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not want a man to stand before me forever. You know what I say to that? I say, wow, wow, because of the obedience to the father of a family, God says from here on out, without exception, that there's going to be a man of the family of the Rechabites that's going to be standing before me forever. That is a spiritual blessing that, listen, you and I can't quantify God didn't say that He'd make one of them the the president or the governor or any position of authority. But I got news for you. A position of authority is not the place of influence. You want a place of influence to make a difference, then it's standing before the Lord. Because when we get God to listen... Man, can you imagine having an audience with God like the descendants of Rechab would have? a man to stand before God forever, that is a huge, huge blessing. And it goes to show that our God is a God of authority and He always blesses obedience to authority. I understand that there are situations where a father or a husband or a person in authority is not right with God and is wicked, I know that there are exceptions to the rule. I know that the Hebrew midwives did the right thing by not obeying Pharaoh and killing their their boys. I know that, uh, that Joseph and Mary did the right thing by fleeing to Egypt. I know that there are exceptions, but they are exceptions. The rule is that even the authority... Even if an authority is misguided or imperfect, God says, submit. You're not going to find that in many pulpits in America today. But it's what the Word of God teaches. And it is a supernatural blessing that you cannot quantify, you cannot explain. I think of the blessings that God has put in my life. And I can look back and I can trace it to times when I submitted and it didn't make any sense to submit. I can think of times where I submitted to authority when all of my peers who were good, godly people are saying, Randy, how can you, you shouldn't put up with that? How can you do that? It's okay. God's got, God's got this. And in most of those cases, it would be years before God would bless. But I can't think of an exception in my life but what God didn't eventually bless in a big way because I submitted to the authority that God placed over me. So there's our introduction here this morning. I've got three points that are very simple, very quick. It's Father's Day. I know that some of you men are expecting that steak dinner today. Nobody's expecting. All right, well let's move quickly. Number one. Number one, God's blessings on a land are conditional upon the attitudes of fathers toward their children. In Malachi chapter four, verse number six, the word of God says, "He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse." And then Luke one seventeen talks about the ministry of John the Baptist. He shall come before him, before Christ, in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John's ministry was to prepare people to accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And one of the most important messages that he was preaching is that dads need to get right with God and have a heart for their children, and children need to get right with God and have a heart for their fathers. That's what makes a culture susceptible to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do you suppose that it's hard to reach people for Christ in American culture today? I think that a lot of it comes from the breakdown of the Christian home. Whenever there's a breakdown of the authority structure that God has established, then there's always going to be a withdrawal from God's presence. I look around and I see children as victims today. I um, I don't always agree with everything that Rush Limbaugh says, but I was listening to I think I was waiting on my wife in the grocery store the other day, and so I flipped on the radio, and Rush Limbaugh was talking about um, the World War II generation, and I think it was during the um, uh, during um, the anniversary of Normandy, and he was talking about how that that no there will probably never be a war that was fought like Normandy was or like World War II where it was just, it's just human bodies that were suffering and dying. Nowadays it's the time of technology. We have guided missiles. We have, uh, airplanes. We have all kinds of things that do a lot of the fighting. I'm not saying that there aren't still men that go out and have to fight the battle, but it's not in the massive quantities like what we saw back in World War II. Probably will never happen again. Rush Limbaugh made a statement that I thought was very profound. He said, that generation and before, the World War II generation, those who went through the Great Depression, those who went through World War One, they understood the real suffering and challenges of life and how to get through it. He said, the baby boomers and younger, we've had to invent Our own struggles. And you think about some of the causes that people fight for today. Save a tree. I know people that have chained themselves to a tree just to try to keep that tree from being destroyed. Where would that come from? What would somebody who fought in World War II think of that agenda that's worth dying and sacrificing for? We've got people today that are victims over things that really shouldn't even have caught anyone's attention, and yet a person's life is defined by some mistreatment by a parent or a teacher or what have you. I'm telling you, we are very, very thin-skinned today. We've got a culture that is a greenhouse to cultivate victim mentalities We need to rise above the victim mentality. We need to start having some backbone and some toughness. You know why we're not tough today? Because we don't love the Bible. The Bible says quite clearly, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. People are so offended today. Listen, I'm preaching what the Word of God says as far as respecting and submitting to authority. I'm not ignorant to the fact that there are many people in positions of authority today, including pastors, who are not necessarily righteous and not necessarily, that don't necessarily handle things the right way. I understand that. But I also know that we live in a day and age when the authority or the person in authority it doesn't matter how you handle it you didn't handle it right parents guard yourself from that mentality guard yourself well the teacher wasn't fair with my with my i'm i'm searching for the word here that's appropriate I guess just child. (laughs) The teacher wasn't fair. Well, they could have handled that better. Why is it that the person in authority always has the microscope placed upon them, but the person who committed the offense, you know what it is? It's just a distraction. It's a diversion to get the focus off of the person who actually committed the crime or Disobeyed the rule. Uh, we're living in a very lawless, ruleless time period where people don't take rules serious. I understand. We we also live in a very liberal culture where they've got rules for everything. Have you noticed that? You know what? I, I I'm a proponent of wearing seatbelts. I, I I think that they're safe. And statistics prove that. I think that it's wise to wear your seatbelt. I just think that it stinks that the government tells me that I have to do it. Uh, you know, I, as, can you imagine what our founding fathers would think of that rule? It's like, that's none of the government's business. You know what? If you wanna, if you wanna bash your brains on the dash or the steering wheel, help yourself. It's your business. But it is the law and it is the rule. And if you don't agree with it, I would recommend that you do it anyways because tickets cost a lot of money, right? Back to my thought here. Fathers, our heart needs to be toward our children. Not like the selfish dad today who lives for himself and just kind of gives his family all of the leftovers. I, that's probably one thing that I miss now that my children are grown. I enjoyed being a father. It wasn't a drag to me. My children were, it was such a blessing and such a joy to raise my children and to just, uh, to know them and to love them and to protect them. I don't remember a single time that I ever ever felt like I resented going to work. And there were times when when I had to work 60, 80 hours a week just to pay the bills. And even at that, we didn't know how we were going to pay the bills. I don't remember ever, ever resenting my children because of the doctor's bill or the, the diaper bill. My wife was saying the other day that Once our kids got out of diapers, we started eating meat again. (laughs) Most of you understand, that's why you laughed. Let me move on quickly to the second point. God acknowledges the person of children. In our opening text, in verse number 4, it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. A parallel passage in Colossians 3, verse 21, says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. How can children be provoked to wrath? You know, there, there's a number of different ways. I understand, as I've already said, today is the victim mentality generation. You know, nowadays, how, how does a father provoke his child to pitch a fit? Just by telling him no. Isn't that sad? Dads, it's our job to say no. It's our responsibility. If you don't say no, then nobody else will. But there are ways that dads can provoke children to anger, to wrath, and to discourage them. Number one, by being too harsh. I believe that dad should be dad. He should be a man. He should have some backbone. But that doesn't mean that just because dad's the boss that he can be a tyrant. Jesus would never approve of a dad being a tyrant. Number two, rules without relationship. I think a home should be filled with rules, but with those rules should also be a relationship. I think that any organization, whether it be home, whether it be church, there needs to be a relationship to go along with those rules. If it's always just don't do this, don't do that, well, as a relationship, what are we doing to have fun other than just saying, no, we can't do that? It's tough today when we live in a generation where everybody's doing so many things that are not good and right, and parents get tired of saying, no, we can't watch that. Well, Everybody at school's watching that. Well, I'm sorry, honey, we can't watch that. So what do we do? We have a relationship and we replace that don't with something that we can do. You know, who says that you have to watch anything? Maybe try doing something. You know, no, we're not going to watch that Disney movie because it's filled with a liberal agenda. Uh oh, I just lost you. No, it's got a liberal agenda. No, we're not watching it. I don't care how popular it is and how much everybody else is watching it. Yeah, I don't care about that. It's got a bad agenda. But I tell you what we are going to do. Let's go camping. Let's go fishing. Let's go on a bike ride. Together. Number three, inconsistency and instability. There is a way to parent that's not necessarily too harsh, but it's just too wishy-washy. And children never really know where you stand. No might mean no today, but it might mean yes tomorrow. And so if the child thinks that it might be yes and there's no inconsistency, then when that child gets told no and doesn't understand that the principle... Listen, if it was no yesterday and it's yes today, the child gets confused. And what the parent is doing, you're now putting the pressure on the child. I've said this, and I believe it with all of my heart. Parents today explain way too much to their children. And their children, everything, they're trying to think about it and they just feel this pressure and this burden. And listen, parents, especially when your children are younger, keep it simple. No, sweetheart, you can't do that. And if a, if a parent, if a dad is consistent, then that child will know that, hey, that's the end of the, that's the end of the conversation. We're not going anywhere further. We can move on and we can be happy. But, that's not the way that parents raise their kids today. You know, you can get away with it when they're real young. But as they get older, you're going to regret it. And so, um, have a relationship, but be consistent and be stable. And then number three, our last point, the instruction to raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is to fathers not mamas. I'm not saying that mamas don't play their, rule, their role, but we think about mama being the nurturer. But dads, we can't leave the, the mama to do all of the nurturing. Dads are the ones to whom God has given the admonition. We're to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To nurture is to feed, protect, support, and encourage during a time of development. Admonition means to counsel, advise, and to caution. We need to instruct them. We need to discipline them. We need to do all of those things. And this is the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's the same thing. That God does with us as His children is what we're supposed to turn around and be to our children. I I wonder how many people grow up in quote-unquote Christian homes or grow up in church, but they never really have a proper understanding of God because they never saw it demonstrated in their earthly father. Parents, or excuse me, children today don't understand that God is a God of authority, that No means no, and yes means yes, because they didn't see that demonstrated in their earthly parents. They were able to manipulate, and they were able to figure out how to get their way with their parents. And so they go through their whole life thinking that they can relate to God in the same way. And because that mentality is contrary to the Scripture, what have they done? They've created a new God that is in Christianity today. It's all over the place in America. The pulpits are filled with this new God that just is so in love with me the way that I am that I don't have to change anything. It'd be a wonderful concept for us if it was true, but the bottom line that it's not. It's a God that we're making in our own image. parent says, well, I wouldn't send someone to hell, but God would. What are we saying? That we're good and that God's not? That He's mean? No, God is righteous and God is holy. Parents today want their children to like them. When what we need to do is we need to have our children respect us because we're righteous and we're holy and we're just and we do the right thing even when it's not easy. The responsibilities of a father are multifaceted. I mean, providing, leading, disciplining, training. Most fathers today did not have a good example themselves. So I say to all of us, cut them some slack. Until you've done it yourself, be gracious. I too can remember a time in my arrogance when I thought that I would do so much better as a father than my own father. I remember being critical and thinking, well, I wouldn't let my kids do all the things that he allowed me to do that I ended up in sin and ended up in heartache and sorrow and regret. And I thought, I'm going to protect my kids from all of that. I found out that it's not the process that matters the most. It matters. It matters. But what matters the most is we just need God. We need His grace. I depended too much on the process and not enough on the God of the process. I should have been more humble and I should have said, God, I'm doing the best that I can to raise my kids. I hope by the grace of God that you'll just bless them and help them because ultimately we are all dependent upon the Lord. How would you feel, Father, if God's relationship with you was the same as yours is with your children? I've had many times when my children were younger that I knew that I wasn't. There was some area in my life that I wasn't right with God, and uh, when it was time, I, one of my kids had broken a rule or needed uh, needed the woodshed, so to speak. And I can remember the Holy Spirit of God speaking to my heart and saying, Son, you're giving your child a whooping for disobeying you. How do you think I feel about you? And I can remember after taking care of business as an earthly father, I can remember going to my prayer closet and saying, God, I'm sorry. I am getting right with God. We need to realize that our relationship with God affects our relationship with our children. In conclusion, isn't it heartbreaking to see how many children grow up in faithful Christian homes today and end up despising God? It breaks my heart, brothers and sisters. I mean, people who grow up in church, they know about the Lord, they know the Lord, they know about Jesus and the cross, they've been taught, they've been trained and Yet in their heart, they just end up having a despising heart toward God. I wish I didn't know as many as I know today. I think about kids that we've had in our college and career group in the past and you find out the direction that they took in their life and you think, how could somebody be under the sound of the Word of God? I always thought that as I was growing up and weak watered down churches, I thought that I had an excuse for my rebellion. And I thought, well, you know, if we just give them the pure truth and we live godly examples before them, then everything's going to turn out just right. And I found that the devil is very, very powerful. There is no fail-safe way. There is no fail-safe process. All we can do is do the best that we can to raise our children in the nurture An admonition of the Lord. I think about the father of the prodigal son. God doesn't tell us what kind of a dad he was. Whether I mean, it seems like in the story that he was a very gracious, very kind-spirited guy. But we don't know what kind of a man that he was. He had one son that stayed home and did right, but was arrogant. He had another that went off into the far country and wasted all of his inheritance. And eventually he came to himself. Eventually, he found out that the world didn't love him back. He found out that all of his friends that he was trying that he loved them, but they didn't return that love. he realized, you know what? It wasn't near as bad in Dad's home as I thought that it was. And he went back, the Bible says. He came to himself, "I don't know much about that man as a dad other than the fact that he was faithful. He was still there, still doing the same thing. He didn't change. I I can't help but feel that every single day that his heart was yearning for his son. Remember what he said to his elder son? He said, this my son was dead and is now alive. I mean, he was heartbroken for his son, but when his son returned, all he could think about is just how glad that he was that his son was back. He didn't browbeat him. He didn't give him a guilt trip. He didn't say, what'd you do with all of that inheritance? He didn't start interrogating him about all of his sin. I think that he knew. He knew what the far country was like. And he was just glad that his son had come home. He was faithful. In Genesis 18 and verse number 19, God said of Abraham, he said, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. They shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of. God looked at Abraham and he says, should I tell him what I'm going to do? You know what? He's going to order his household after him. He's going to, he's going to command his children to do the right thing. He's going to take the lead of a father. He's going to raise his children and take responsibility for his household. God says, I'm going to be transparent with him. I'm going to let him be in the know of what I'm thinking. In Galatians 3, verse number 9 says, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Abraham was not This choleric leader kind of guy, Abraham was very soft spoken, but he was strong. He made some mistakes. He had some failures, but he always recovered and he always stuck with God and God refers to him as faithful Abraham. I wish that I had the words to tell all of you fathers the formula just to be the perfect dad. I don't have those words, but I do know this, we ought to be faithful to God. We ought to understand and know God well enough that we can turn around and be the same kind of authority figure to our children. Dads, if you made some mistakes in the past, there's something that you need to apologize for, then apologize, but then move on. And be faithful to the Lord. We don't have control over our children, but we have control over our heart and our faithfulness to God. There are no formulas, but there is a God who cares. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. We need reminded of God's blessings and God's promise. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for your admonition. Thank you for the promise of your blessings. I pray for every dad here today that you'd give him wisdom and give him understanding. I pray that you'd help each and every one of us to apply the principles of the Word of God. I pray that we would be men of God with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Help us, God, to be faithful. Help us, God, to live righteous. Help us to be kind and gentle, but help us to be firm and strong against the world and against sin. I pray, Father, for every uh, child, every uh, regardless of our age, that we would honor our parents. For those that are still living in their parents' homes, I pray, Father, that you would give them the grace to be obedient. I pray that as dads, that we would not be provoking uh, of wrath of our children, but rather we would provoke them to good works as a good Christian ought to be. Draw us closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Hymn number 306. Number 306. As we sing the altars open, if God spoke to your heart, we invite you to come.